Hello and welcome to the Smart Building Series. Uh, this is, where are we up to now? Our seventh free webinar of 2019. So um, today we are talking about why is brick a game changer for smart buildings? And I'm very pleased to have some uh, people on the line uh, from the Brick Consortium. So uh, first of all, uh, it's Gabe Fierro from University of California, Berkeley, and Jason Coe from uh, UC San Diego. So uh, hi guys, welcome. Hi, thanks. Uh, Should I uh, just person? No, I'm just um, going to do a first bit of housekeeping, um, and then uh, we can get started with uh, with your presentation. And maybe also like a bit of an introduction to start with about Brick and what you guys are doing with with that with that schema. Um, so just to everybody listening out there, first off, um, if we go through this presentation, that's the way it's going to work. We're going to we're going to get a, um, a half an hour 40 minute presentation on what brick is and and how um it's going to be useful for smart buildings um and then afterwards um we're going to open it up to questions um so it should be uh, around 10 15 minutes of questions um if you guys type them in i'll get those here and then i'll be able to put them through to uh, the people who are presenting today um beyond that um of course uh as always we're recording this content um, and that's going to be posted on uh, our YouTube channel and also on SoundCloud. And you can even subscribe through iTunes. So if you just do a search for us, uh, the Smart Building Series, you'll find us on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And you can subscribe to all the content we do. Um, and then, of course, beyond that, um, if you look, I've, uh, I've added um, a white paper that we did with Brick um, earlier this year as a handout. Um, so you should be able to see that in your console and you can... You can download it now. Um, so yeah, now I'm going to hand over to to Gabe and Jason. Guys, take it away. Great, thanks very much. Um, so my name is Gabe Fierro. I'm a, a PhD candidate at the University of California Berkeley, and uh, I will be speaking first about Brick. Um, so we have quite a number of slides here. So there will be a couple of them that I will. Uh, sort of a gloss over a little bit, but we will make sure that the slides are on our website, which is linked on the first slide here, um, so that you have um, you have them as a reference. So starting off to sort of set the stage of the, the family of topics that we're talking about, uh, here is sort of from the, the, the hardware on up, the set of physical resources in the buildings, the sensors and equipment, um, become, you know, grouped and encapsulated into buildings of various use cases, residential, office, you know, commercial, industrial. Um, on top of the, the buildings themselves, uh, in the smart building space, you typically have a family of management services that are implemented, data storage, control services, monitoring services, alarms. Um, and then on top of those management services, um, you have your, your applications, your demand response, uh, fault detection, occupancy models. And what these do is, is, is what we're typically talking about, uh, in the realm of smart buildings is the integration from the hardware all through up a, a higher level uh, application that gives us insights into how the building is operating and behaving and allows us to leverage things like big data and machine learning to, uh, more efficiently operate that building. The problem today is that, uh, when you're actually doing this development, is that there's an incredible amount of heterogeneity in the actual hardware and deployment setting. Every building site is essentially a one-off. You have the multitude of equipment vendors, BMS vendors, all with different features and capabilities. Um, the actual deployment and configuration of these BMS and data systems is often custom to the actual deployment site. Of course, on top of that, custom controls, architecture, use cases, and what's, you know, sort of uh, making this all work is that this is all changing over time, right? The building as it is designed is different than the building as it is built, uh, which is different than the building as it is, you know, operated a month or a week later. And so the challenge is going to be, how do we account for this heterogeneity? The problem with accounting with heterogeneity is that it's, it's essentially a, f a form of fragmentation. And to deal with this requires interoperability standards. In 2004, there was this, this uh, great study by NIST that showed how the lack of interoperability standards, uh, they estimated the cost for the capital facilities industry at around $16 billion per year. 
And there's a, a more recent study uh, by the Department of Energy uh, looking at, you know, when people are actually want to be deploying energy efficiency software or more efficient building um, uh, operation techniques, it's actually very, very hard to estimate the impact of these techniques because it's so hard to deploy them. Every time we want to deploy a new piece of software on a building, um, it, it requires an incredible amount of manual effort to go in and tune and tweak and customize that software so they can actually understand the resources that are there in the building. It could make use of the various equipment and APIs and data sources um, and whatnot that are actually available in the building. And so what we have to bring to bear is a, a technique that's been you know, long established in the computer science domain, which is that of abstraction. And abstraction is key to interoperability. And, and what abstraction is, is essentially uh, the removal of irrelevant details uh, to focus on the properties or attributes of a problem that are relevant to a task. And this is crucial to any sort of scaling. If we ever want to scale up smart buildings, you know, uh, cutting edge energy efficiency techniques, uh, we need abstraction to be brought uh, into the smart building space. And so one form of this is, is shipping containers. You know, before shipping containers, you had to worry about what the shape and size of all the different things you wanted to put onto boats. Uh, now that we have shipping containers, you just put it inside, and the rest of everything around that, the cranes, the, the, the boats, the storage facilities, all of that can just worry with the abstraction of the shipping container, uh, rather than the details of what's inside. This is the same thing we see with the internet, with the, uh, the internet protocol being introduced uh, to abstract over all the multitude of uh, uh, independently uh, developed proprietary communication protocols that existed. Uh, before that, USB as a, as a universal bus for connecting all sorts of peripherals, and of course, operating systems that allow us to run Windows or Mac OS X on top of a laptop without having to worry about what kind of chip, what kind of hard drive, what kind of keyboard, uh, what kind of Wi-Fi card, all of that is abstracted away from us. Bringing this to the context of buildings, a lot of our telemetry right now resides within data silos. These are proprietary, vendor-specific data repositories that have their own APIs, their own labels for describing what that data is. And there really isn't a common data representation. What you have today um, are uh, the descriptions of buildings when you go to a BMS or you go to a database. You have these informal and ad hoc labels. On the right here, I pulled a, a screenshot from a document that uh, attempts to standardize a few of these. I'm sure if any of you uh, in the building space, you're probably familiar with, you know, looking at DPR as an abbreviation for damper. But sometimes, you know, these are misspelled. Sometimes someone has a different, uh, a slightly different convention, you know, DMPR for damper instead of DPR or DMP. And so convention is normally fine for humans, right? We can take a look at, a, at an arrangement of letters and we can spot patterns and we can figure out what something is based on the conventions and our implicit knowledge of how these buildings are put together. Uh, but this is actually quite difficult for machines uh, to make any sense of. And when you only have these sort of human readable and informal labels, it's very difficult to actually develop interoperable software on top of that. And so for this presentation, we're going to be focusing on the kind of information that gets brought out by point labels and what is described by point labels. And so to sort of go over uh, the problem introduced by point labels, so your points, you know, the name point in the building is, is typically the, the sensor, the actuator that's producing the digital data about the building. Um, and these, uh, what these points do is they combine different aspects of the building into a single name. They combine location, function, the related equipment, subsystems, process, and all sorts of related metadata in a single label. Um, and the correct interpretation of this uh, requires, you know, knowing not only the site-specific conventions, but also um, having a, a, a good, solid understanding of the domain knowledge of how buildings actually work. The, um, and what, what, what further complicates this is that whatever the established conventions are, these are not consistent across buildings, but they're also not consistent even within an enterprise or within a building. And so an example here, of a, a point label from uh, the Berkeley campus, you know, this 14 to 16 character tag incorporates the air handling unit, uh, the air handling unit identifier, the fact that there's a zone, 
the fact that there's a set point, um, and all of this implies, you know, a greater set of, of equipment and points that are there. The fact that if there's a set point, there's probably a sensor. There's a VAV box in here that's not being realized. Um, and so the point label itself is really not a sufficient descriptor for the kind of information we want to get out of those. And so what we're talking about is essentially uh, building metadata. Metadata, uh, metadata itself uh, is a term that means data about data. And in buildings, uh, this really means uh, sort of the collection of the following that I have on the slide. The origin and context of what the telemetry, um, the, the, the sensor, the set point, or whatever the register is that produced the data, the equipment or the substance that's being controlled, monitored, or regulated, location of the of the data source, the physical location, the logical location, um, position in a process or subsystem, um, and related points and equipment, et cetera. And so we can imagine the uh, a zone temperature sensor here, it really only has significance in in the context of all the rest of the stuff around it. The fact that it's in a room, that room is in an HVAC zone. That um at H that room has return and supply dampers that, you know, Feed and return air through, you know, a, a VAV box. There's fans, there's pumps, there's an air handling unit at the top of that. And when we only look at the sensor, all the rest of that is implied. But what we're going to do here is try to bring that forward. So we're not the first people to, uh, at the BRIC consortium, we're not the first people to address this problem. There's definitely uh, you know, existing interoperability standards that we've uh, started to work with. Uh, one uh, very well-known one is the industry foundation classes, which is a form of building information modeling. And what these are designed to do, what IFC does, is it standardizes data exchange across the design and construction phases of building. It focuses on geometrical modeling for space management, asset tracking. Um, it makes it easier for architects and building designers to sort of work together. Um, there's even sort of work that brings the IFC model forward uh, that that helps you uh, run energy modeling uh, and start doing uh, iteration on your control software. There is a little bit of a data dictionary that they define for the different types of sensors, but largely IFC is not intended for the continued operation and management of the building. The data model is largely inextensible. It's very hard to, to add anything, uh, and it's not, it's not the kind of data model that's very easy to query from software. Another data interoperability standard that you're probably familiar with is, is Haystack. And what Haystack has done is they've uh, taken these uh, loosely formed point labels that are typical of buildings, and they've created a tagging system around them. So instead of having sort of a, a, a binder somewhere with all the abbreviations of what the different parts of the point names mean, you can now uh, structure those using a set of tags pulled from a dictionary. So, and HaySec does a, a, a fantastic job of doing this. They've uh, really pushed the state of the art in terms of uh, bringing those point labels forward into a, a, a software and digital representation that can be used. Um, but for our purposes and for what the application that we were trying to do, uh, they, uh, we found that it wasn't quite sufficient. There was a limited notion of, of relationships, which I'll go over momentarily, um, and a lack of rules for how you're supposed to put these tags together um, and while it's undoubtedly an improvement over unstructured labels, um, uh, it wasn't, uh, the tag dictionary itself did not fully cover the range of equipment and points uh, that we wanted to, to, uh, to talk about, and it wasn't enough to represent the structure of the subsystems and equipment within the building. And so in 2015, uh, there was a study of pulling around 90 applications from the building science literature covering these eight categories of applications. Um, and this covered sort of state-of-the-art advances in modeling and control, as well as standard industry practices. And what this paper did is it uh, decomposed each of these applications into the set of entities and relationships. So the entities required what things does the application refer to. If you have a thermal modeling application, you're referring to uh, sensors and set points and thermostats and zones and rooms. Um, if you're talking about, uh, also, we also looked at the relationships required. Um, how do the applications associate and find these things? The, the sensor is inside a room. The thermostat is, you know, has a set point. The thermostat controls the temperature of a room. 
Um, and what they found in the study, and we've linked it down here, and it's also available on our website, um, is they found that these existing standards did not actually meet the requirements of those applications. They were not able to identify the entities that were required, uh, nor were they able to represent the relationships or the connections between these entities. And so what this uh, did is it asked us, uh, it had us ask the question, what are the properties of an effective metadata standard? And uh, what they are is uh, we need to be able to represent the things in the building, the physical things, the, uh, the virtual things, as well as the logical things. It's not just equipment and points, but it's also the software that controls the building, and it's also the uh, particular assortment of equipment and points uh, assembled for a particular process, such as heating, air, monitoring, electricity. We also needed to represent the relationships between things, the fact that some things are contained within other things, or some things take effect before other things in some process, such as a, uh, a valve needing to be opened before, uh, you know, a, the hot water can heat up some air, um, or one fan occurring in a process before another fan. Uh, things affecting other things, the hot water coil heating the air up. Uh, things fitting together to form a larger whole, the fact that an air handler unit, the VAV, your dampers, your return fans, your exhaust fans are all assembled together into uh, the HVAC system or the, the air loop. We also needed an extensible classification of things. We were never going to be able to write down the complete dictionary of every single equipment and points that would ever exist within a building. And so, while we needed concrete named definitions to be able to say, well, what is a VAV, to be able to go and look that up, but we also needed to be able to add our own definitions and expand existing ones. So as the set of equipment and points in the world grows, as these manufacturers innovate and create new equipment, we need to be able to describe the capabilities and features of that equipment as they become deployed and building. And lastly, we need portability and consistency. And this is what um, determines sort of the sufficient abstraction to allow this metadata standard to scale. Consistency means that if two people are going to describe the same building or they're going to describe very similar buildings, those models should look very similar. Without consistency, then we're back to sort of square one where every single building is its own unique model. And so we need mechanisms that allow consistent modeling um, of what is inside these buildings. What consistency gives us is also portability. The fact that relationships and these classifications should be generalizable to new situations. I should be able to discover, I should be able to, when I write an application that performs uh, some analysis on a building, that application should be able to figure out what kind of capabilities are inside that building, what kind of equipment and points are there, uh, and customize its operation to the particulars of that building. And so this brings us to the development of the BRIC metadata standard. And so in a few lines, uh, BRIC is a graph-based metadata standard for smart building. It captures the physical, logical, virtual entities in building. It defines those entities using an extensible class hierarchy, and it's able to capture the necessary relationships between those entities. And so BRIC um, started from the 2015 uh, BuildSys conference. Uh, where there was a collection of universities uh, working together. We all realized that metadata really was a problem, that we were all coming up with these ad hoc solutions for how to standardize and digitize the metadata that exists in buildings today. We established a working group of universities and a few companies uh, to work on this uh, metadata together. Uh, and this workshop was uh, predicated on you needed to bring a building. You need to uh, do a, a point dump on a building uh, and do some sort of initial classification of that uh, itself. From this, we developed the initial BRIC class hierarchy and relationships. So BRIC, as a, the first version of BRIC was derived in, entirely empirically from actual BMS points and equipment. Um, the relationships and classes uh, we chose were driven by the 2015 studies that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and we cross-validated the structure by actually going and implementing those applications against real buildings. And what BRIC is today is it's evolved from this structure, but it, it maintains this, this foothold in empiricism, the fact that we are really trying to describe the entities and relationships that application developers have actually had to describe 
um, rather than just trying to, to posit what those might be. And so I'm going to go over a few of these core brick concepts. Firstly, the concept of an entity. This is the abstraction of any physical, logical, or virtual item. These are essentially the things in a building. So here's a few examples. We've got a thermostat, an air handler unit, um, the sort of floor pan rooms are, are, are things, as well as the HVAC zones, the logical collection of a set of rooms, as well as things like controllers and pitches. These are all things. A relationship defines the nature of a link between two related entities. So this is something, uh, this is along the lines of, of, of encapsulation, the fact that a thermostat might be located in a room, the fact that a uh, air handler unit is upstream of a VAV box, or even the fact that a thermostat is a thermostat. The notion of a thermostat as a generic class of objects, um, that class is a thing, and that thermostat is also a thing, and the relationship between them is that one, the type of one is given by the other. This is a bit of a, a, a meta-modeling problem, but uh, we'll make this more concrete as we go forward. A class is a named category with some intentional meaning or definition uh, that's used for grouping entities. We happen to organize classes into a hierarchy, and our entities, the actual things, are going to be instances of one or more classes. So here's an example of a class of uh, the class of blow down water, which you know, defined by water expelled from a system to remove mineral buildup. It has a super class uh, that is given by water, so we could go and look up the definition of water. Um, and so anything that is of type flow down water is also going to be of type water. Um, and here on the right are the set of root classes that we've defined at brick. So we have a hierarchy for each of these. We have a, a hierarchy of equipment, hierarchy of points, hierarchy of locations, a hierarchy of substances like water, and a hierarchy of quantities, things like temperature and, and, and CO2 levels. Uh, the last concept, I'm, uh, the last high-level concept I'm going to go over is the uh, the idea of a graph. A graph is an abstract data structure that represents uh, a set of entities and the relationships between them. So here, the nodes are the circles, the node labels, which are going to be the names of the entities or what's written inside the circle. The edges here are directed; they have an arrow. So here, C points to B, A points to B, B points to D. Um, edges have direction, and edges have labels. And so, in the context of a relationship, the relationship name would be the edge label, and C would have the relationship CB to the node B. And what we'll do later on is we'll replace these labels with the actual entities and classes and relationships in brain. But this is just a high-level overview. This is just a reference slide with all of this definition. And so, now we're into the brick class hierarchy. So this is just a small subset of it. Um, but we can see sort of the, the kinds of equipment. So we have equipment categorized by fire safety system, H, uh, HVAC. There'll be, you know, electrical monitoring, lighting, and so on. Uh, points are categorized by a, a few high-level classes, command, sensor, set point, alarm, and so on. We have a few, uh, we have a similar hierarchy for location, similar hierarchies for resource and, and substance. And so having this class structure uh, makes it much easier to discover the set of classes that are actually there. If I know I'm looking for temperature sensors, I can navigate to sensor, look at the types of sensors. There's going to be temperature sensors. There's going to be, you know, flow sensors. There's going to be voltage sensors. I can choose the related subclass, traverse into this own sub-hierarchy, and find the class that I'm looking for. This is also a very naturally extensible uh, structure. When I come up, if I have you know, some very rare, some very custom points or equipment in some site, I can describe that in terms of classes that already exist within the hierarchy. If I have a new type of terminal unit um, that's just produced by train, for example, I can go and introduce that class under the terminal unit, uh, the term as a subclass of the terminal unit class in the, in the uh, brick class hierarchy. And this allows other people to find it. It also provides a very easy mechanism for multiple uh, entities or groups to work together to create the class hierarchy, describe the set of equipment uh, and points that they have without you know, too many conflicts. 
relationships is the other core part of BRIC. This is a little bit of an abstract diagram that shows um, how entities of a certain type can be related to one another. So locations can be part of locations, is what this arrow on the top left means. Equipment can have the has location relationship to location. So equipment can be located in things that are of type location. Equipment can be part of equipment. Equipment can feed equipment, which is sort of the, the indication of a, of a process, the direction of a process. So, for example, a, an air handler unit would feed a VAD because the air handler unit is upstream. Uh, points can control points. Points can be located within locations, um, and so on and so forth. So, relations can be transitive. Um, so, if one thing is contained with, if A is contained within B and B is contained within C, then, you know, A can be considered to be contained within C. Um, things can be symmetrical. We can, you know, add whatever properties that we want to these relationships. And what the relationships do is they allow Brick to extend to cover these new settings and new equipment. The fact is, if I have a, an air-based HVAC system or if I have a radiant system, there is still going to be a notion of sequence that's there. And so an air handling unit will have a feeds relationship to my uh, VAV the same way that, you know, a part of my radiant system would be upstream of another part. And so these relationships are able to port across various scenarios. Here, for your reference, and I'm not going to go over this, but this is a, a list of a few of the relationships that we define within BRIC. This defines the domain and range, um, who can have that relationship to another class of object, um, whether or not these are transitive, and of course, the definition. And so, now that we've gone a little bit over the sort of the abstract structure of BRIC, we'll talk more concretely about what it actually means to use BRIC within the context of a real building. And so we're going to be talking about brick models. And a brick model is a digital representation of a building. It's essentially our graph that we went over before. The nodes are the things. This is our, our assets, the equipment, the subsystems, the class structure. And the edges are going to be relationships, indicating things like uh, location, control, connectivity, composition, influence, and so on. And to sort of walk through a, a simple example, um, here, our blue items are, are, are the, the, the things inside our building, the air handling units, the VAVs, and the points on the VAVs. We're going to add uh, classes to that. So our, our graph here, the nodes in blue are the, the instances, the entities that are actually in the building. And the green, red, and yellow nodes are the actual classes from the brick schema definition. And the links between them show that for example, on the right, room 410 is an instance of type room. And then we can go in and add the relationships here that actually show how all of these entities compose together. The fact that my air handling unit is upstream of these two VAVs, I've added some points to one of these VAVs to indicate, you know, the uh, what features it has. One of these VAVs has a damper, and we've got a point on one of those dampers. The other VAV, we've indicated that's part of a zone, that it, it sees air to a zone, and that zone consists of a set of three things. And so within the context of an application, this brick model is going to represent, you know, the set of things inside this building. The, the, the plugs, the sensors, the, the RTUs, the VAVs, um, the floors, the rooms, the subsystems, the electrical monitoring, essentially all of the assets and relationships and data inside that building. And once we have that digital representation, the brick model, we can start to write applications that can query a brick model in order to retrieve the data and configuration that they need in order to operate. And we're going to be going over concrete examples of applications later. And what queries do is they allow applications to account for the building heterogeneity. Because we have this digital representation of all the resources in that building, we can now query that model to ask, well, what resources do you have? What equipment do you have? What points do you have? How are those connected? And with that knowledge, the application can customize its behavior to that building. And this is a concept that we like to call application portability. And so as sort of a quick example of why portability is useful, say we have a sample application like indoor temperature prediction. Now, when I want to do some sort of indoor temperature prediction application, I'm probably going to have a few different uh, methodologies for constructing that based on the type of system that I'm working with. An air-based HVAC system, radiant systems, rooftop unit systems. 
But in actuality, when I go to actually sit down to write this code or deploy this code, I have a different version of this application for each of these buildings. Each of these buildings is a custom uh, implementation because their internal systems are constructed entirely differently. They still have the same sort of generic components, the air handling units, the BAV, but they're going to have custom uh, cooling towers. They're going to have custom associations of how those BAVs are put together, how those zones are put together. They might have unusual points that give feedback into those BAVs. And so we're sort of stuck having to uh, account for all the differences in building, and this amounts to essentially rewriting the majority of the logic of that application every time we want to put that onto a new building. With application portability, the idea is, the hope is, uh, to sort of write once, run anywhere. I can have a single implementation of my indoor temperature prediction application and using a brick model that will then customize itself um, to each of these buildings somewhat automatically with very little reconfiguration. And so to speak a little bit about the data model and representation, um, this is going to be sort of a little bit sort of uh, under the cover, so to speak. Um, but the, there's plenty of documentation on our website about this. Uh, but this is essentially how we actually represent the BERT models. And so we're uh, building ours over the semantic web technology. We use the resource description framework, uh, which is a, a, a W3C standard for describing uh, resources. It creates structured statements called triples. Um, and these triples are essentially a textual form of communicating the structure of a graph. And so to look at sort of our, our node edge node uh, construction before, um, in RDS, these are called subject and object, or the two nodes, and the relationship between them is called the predicate. Um, here's sort of the textual form above that, which you can refer back to later. And here's a simple example for creating a thermostat. My thermostat A, this is the name of some thermostat. It has the type relationship to some thermostat. And this is essentially what is called an RBF triple. Uh, and you'll be seeing a little bit of these in the further examples. And so sort of walk through what a more complete brick example would look like. Here's a very simple HVAC system. Our air handler units got a, a supply duct to a VAB with a set point logically associated with it. That VAV feeds air into a zone. That zone contains a room, and that room has a sensor inside it. And of course, there's the, the, the ducts going back up. So we're not going to model the ducts in this simple model, but here's essentially the graphical representation of those resources. My air handler unit, my VAV, my zone, and my room, and my, and my points are all entities. Those have relationships to brick classes, so we know what their types are. And the relationships between those entities tell us the nature of how they are related. My VAV, uh, my air home unit to my VAV to my zone is sort of the flow of air. That zone consists of a room, and my temperature and set points are related to the entities uh, VAV and zone respectively. Once more, I also have the hash location relationship uh, that has uh, that indicates that the zone temperature sensor is actually located within that room. And then, if we go and turn this into the RDF form. Uh, not that I'm expecting you to read all the way through this, but there is a textual representation. Uh, and this textual representation is what would be loaded into a database, is what would be queried by the application, but it's not necessarily what would be pushed forward to the user. This is just this is just the sort of the nature of the implementation of Brick. And that's all I have. I'm going to turn it over to my colleague uh, Jason. So should I stop uh, my own screen share, or will you be able to handle that? No problem. I've now changed it over so Jason can present. Beautiful. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, can you see my screen? Yes, we got your screen. Thank you very much. I will present it. Okay. okay. Hi, uh, I'm Jason Cole, a PhD candidate as well from UC San Diego. Um, and we have talked about the building sector genuity, sensor heterogeneity that, uh, that uh, blocks the way of uh, large-scale application deployments. And now we would like to abstract those heterogeneity with brick and building management systems or building operating system providing uh, uh, APIs or data storage uh, can rely on brick 
and applications now finally uh, should be able to discover the right resources they want from heterogeneous buildings. And now uh, I'd like to talk about uh, how applications actually use brick for or uh, get what they want. Um, and I, I'd, I'd like to demystify that uh, a gra uh, the graph is easy to use and actually fun and actually like a, uh, using natural language. So here's a, a general workflow uh, uh, to access uh, metadata and time series through building operating systems or called building management systems. Users will get authenticated uh, through an app uh, at the building operating system and the app based on its logic will try to discover uh, what they want uh, through metadata uh, discovery process. And once it identifies what kind of entities that it needs to access, uh, it will actually ask uh, the data or time series data from the database or try to actuate uh, the actual temperature set point or occupancy command through resource major at the actual network. Uh, within the, uh, within mind the, of the general procedure, uh, we have developed uh, various building applications so far. Some of them are still in actively development. Uh, such as Genie as a uh, HVAC web interface, or uh, energy desegregation, or visualizing energy better, uh, and demand response model uh, embedded inside the building, oper building operating system. And we also have an open testbed data analytics platform uh, called Mortar. Uh, now, uh, I want to talk about a single uh, application as an example. Uh, to, uh, to explain uh, what is the app logic and what, or what is the uh, query, what are the queries that uh, they need to use for uh, against Brick. So brief, in, uh, brief motivation about this, uh, this application. Um, software thermostat is necessary because uh, physical thermostat is usually not that easy to access and hard to configure uh, schedules, set points are often hard coded in physical thermostats. It's very hard to uh, adapt it to uh, the actual occupants necessary. And we may want to visualize more information such as energy feedback or other parameters and so on. So we have deployed a genie on, on a building at UC San Diego for the last five years. And uh, you can set the temperature, you can turn on the, t uh, turn on the AC and turn off, uh, change the temperature set point and so on. So what, what do you think we need, uh, this application needs to do with Brig and building operating system? It needs to just understand the, uh, the room's AC status and should be able to control the AC too. Um, so we are going to, I'm, I'm going to give you a tutorial over this simple example building. This is a subset of the building that uh, is presented before. Uh, it has zone temperature set point associated with a VAV and zone temperature sensor associated with a zone. And that VAV is feeding actual air into that zone. However, there's one thing that we, uh, we didn't uh, deeply discuss uh, so far which is actual and uh, actual pointers to time series data uh, because different implement uh, different building management systems or different implementations may have different ways to access time series data uh, we, we don't we don't standardize this uh, pointer abstraction but this is a general workflow uh, in any of the systems uh, the, any entities can be associated with uh, certain identifiers that uh, to retrieve the time series data uh, at actual database so now once you are able to discover the entities with Brick, uh, you also need to be able to uh, get an access to database with, with that information. Uh, so what, uh, here's the general Brick query design process. Uh, um, so first you need to think about what are the entities that you need against the building Maybe this is instances of zone temperature sensors or occupancy sensor or uh, airflow rate uh, airflow rate set points and so on. And then you'd like to provide a little bit more information about the context of those entities. So what are the relationships of this with others? Like uh, what is the location of this? So, uh, what is the equipment that is related? 
And we would like to go further. Uh, we would, uh, the application may need to uh, refine that information further by defining the uh, types of that other entities. Maybe we would like to specifically look for VAV as the equipment or HVAC, HVAC zone as the location types and so on. And those entities, uh, that other entities related to the target entities may have relationships uh, with others anyway too. We may look for uh, VAVs actually related to certain zone or certain AHU and so on. And the list can go on. So you can, pro you can provide any kind of the patterns that you would like to define your app's logic uh, to break query engines. And then you can get the right results over uh, heterogeneous buildings based on brick model. And here is a actual hands-on example uh, with, uh, with Gini to get temperature. So in, in natural language, what is, what is your question to get temperature? So it basically it is, what is the, uh, what is the temperature uh, in a zone? So first you need to ask, what are the instances of zone temperature sensor? And zone temperature sensor is a brick class. Brick class. Uh, I won't go over the uh, actual details of uh, this uh, query language, uh, but we use Sparkle as an example query language, but you can, you can use any kind of the graph-based query language to implement brick information model. So here, question mark ZNT means uh, this is a variable that we are looking for and LDF type means that this is an instance and brick zone temperature sensor is a class. So this line actually means that uh, we are looking for a ZNT variable, which is an instance of zone temperature sensor. And then we would like to provide more info uh, relationship about this entity. So which one among the, the instances actually measures a zone. So then you can provide that pattern uh, in this query uh, language and you can refine further by providing the instance of, instance of zone variable. And because we are looking for a zone very, uh, 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 instance of zones, it will look like this. So this is it. And if you, uh, uh, this is a visualized version of uh, the query execution and the thought process is same. So you are looking for uh, instances of zone temperature sensor and it is measuring something, which is a type of instance, uh, sorry, type of zone. So in here, we find the uh, matched, uh, matched patterns uh, and the uh, right variables will be returned to the uh, uh, courier and that they can execute any kind of data, uh, data access or actuation and so on. Here's another example of setting temperature, uh, which requires another indirection. Um, the question would be, what is the temperature set point of a terminal unit associated with this specific zone? Uh, because temperature set point is not directly related to the zone, but uh, a point of control, control point of a uh, terminal unit, uh, it needs another indirection. So here, this process remains same to look for the instances of zone temperature set point. Uh, and we are looking for, uh, and we want this zone temperature set points to be associated with actual AC unit. And we would like to specify uh, the types of the AC unit further by specifying it as a BAB. But as we talked before, um, because Brick provides a great hierarchy uh, of the uh, different abstraction of these uh, information, uh, an application can choose the right level, uh, such as terminal units, which is a, uh, which is a super class of BAB. Uh, because different buildings may use VAV or fan coil unit or some space heaters or something like that, uh, if we want to, if we want our app to be general enough to cover any kind of those things, we can specify terminal units instead of VAV. And we would like to, uh, we would like to, we would like this VAV to actually fit in the zone to associate with uh, user spaces. And of course, the zone should be an instance of a zone. So here is the graphical matching again. Um, you're looking for zone temperature set points, uh, which is a point of VAB. Uh, VAB is an instance of VAB or a terminal unit. 
and VAV is feeding air into the zone, and the zone should be an instance of zone. So far, we are just uh, encoding our natural language questions into the uh, uh, syntax as uh, SparkQL syntax. So, so far, we have uh, Genie, and this, what Genie needed was to provide uh, point, uh, the necessary uh, types of entities that uh, it is looking for, and its local relationships and its functional relationship with others. Because we don't limit <clears throat> how to associate relationship with uh, those entities, uh, application can be flexible as in uh, uh, flexible to uh, ask any kind. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to ask any kind of relationships uh, over the building, a uh, brick buildings. So not not only the apps, but we have dedicated to provide all the tool chains that is necessary from uh, in the building workflow. Um, uh, we have building a uh, brick optimized databases, HotDB developed uh, developed by Gabe, uh, which is the fastest graph database for SparkWolf. Of course, there is an external tool, uh, Virtuoso may provide a more generic functionality uh, for LDF storage. And you can you can look up uh, brick at the website, uh, as well as we have a visualized uh, visualized version of uh, brick schema. Uh, exploration and more generic tool is the Protege, uh, which is generic uh, ontology development tool where you can explore how the schema looks like. Also, we have uh, Brick enabled building operating systems. Uh, Brick server is our uh, minimal reference implementation of accommodating uh, Brick data and also time series data together, uh, providing uh, common APIs. And Xbox is extensible building operating systems, uh, which it use, utilizes distributed authorization mechanism uh, for extensible um, system. And we have Brig authoring tool. Uh, this is a graphical user interface that uh, with which you can play with Brig model. You can add entities and you can remove entities, uh, modify relationships, and so on. And we do have a uh, metadata normalization tool called Placer, which will help you to make, uh, convert your buildings into brick uh, more easily. And we have open test bed called Mortar, where you can, uh, which contains more than uh, 100 buildings of the data. Uh, they are all uh, brickified so that you can send queries over the buildings and get the data and do analytics uh, on flight. And as you mentioned, we're uh, dedicated to uh, develop more open source applications, and we hope that we can uh, deliver this to any of you uh, uh, later. So I talked about uh, what, is, what are the brick applications and what is the necessary brick tools, uh, but one of the important tools that I would like to briefly introduce is how to convert uh, existing buildings into brick. And because buildings are heterogeneous, uh, the instantiation process is, is highly manual. There are many vocabularies, there are lots of uh, uh, diverse relationships, and the building conventions are difficult for uh, domains, even for a domain expert to understand. So we would like to uh, help automating the process uh, with machine learning and um, several tools. Um, this is an actual uh, metadata that we I retrieved from a uh, UCSD building. So this means that EB3B is a building and W hole is a hole and ZNT is an instance of zone temperature sensor. And of course they are related to each other. ZNT has location W hole and W hole is a part of uh, the building. So converting this unstructured uh, metadata into structured metadata here we target brick uh, is called metadata normalization. Um, so to convert one, one building uh, to brick models, uh, we would like to reuse uh, known mappings and other buildings as much as possible. And if there is any missing information, we would like to provide, uh, we would like to get uh, uh, the right labels from the domain experts. And then finally, we should be able to convert these uh, the target buildings into uh, 
break models. And the goal is to minimize the human effort in general. So we have we have been conducting many research projects with this uh, this problem, and we found that uh, there are four components common across different uh, frameworks. Uh, we just thus we standardize data and uh, feature extraction stage and inference stage and evaluation stage, and provide uh, provide placer as a program, uh, programming interface. And we have implemented uh, several algorithms that uh, are with it. Uh, Scrabble program synthesis, building adapter Zodiac, so which enables uh, benchmark integration development uh, of new algorithms uh, better. The more good thing is uh, we're currently actively developing a web service, Placer as a web service, where you can put your own building data and try to uh, infer the right uh, brick labels for that or you can interactively label, uh, train a machine learning model with providing uh, the right, uh, right amount of these training examples to the system. So in this way, we, 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 we would like to help uh, users to adopt uh, brick as soon as possible. And now I'd like to hand over the presentation to Yi, um, and she will talk about brick in action. Jason, uh, can you make me a presenter? Yes, I can. Give me one second. Okay. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Yi Guo. I'm a product manager at Johnson Controls. Today I'd like to share with you guys how, John <clears throat> how Johnson Controls use Brick to address some of our smart viewing use cases. Johnson Controls is a building controls company and solutions company. So we deal with a lot of different proprietary systems and other data sources. Prior to adopting Brick, it's extremely difficult and costly to navigate around all this data from all these different systems and make applications on top of the system and also to make them talk to each other. After discovering Brick, we just really love the idea of common data representation and standardized data we ingest from all these systems. Uh, recently, Johnson Controls just started working with a company called Zia. It is a sustainability company in UAE and we're creating the Office of the Future with VIA to their new headquarter building. This building is located in a desert with very sleek and curvy design. We're all very excited to work on this project. And with the help of Brick and the concept of com common data model, we find it's very, uh, very easy to commission, develop, and deploy all these applications that we develop uh, to enable this experience especially comparing to all time without using Brick. Johnson Controls has a very long history uh, working in the buildings business, and we find Brick very effective and expressive in the HVAC, DMS, and lighting domain. And Johnson Controls is also very strong in other domains outside of DMS, for example, security and access control. And Brick has proven to be a very well-grounded logical foundation for data modeling practices. It is very easy to extend and provide consistency across different standards and systems using Brick. Now let's take a look at some analytics use cases that we use for smart buildings at Johnson Controls. The first one is fault detection. This is a very common problem that uh, we have to do, deal with in HVAC application. We have to look at uh, the BMS and HVAC equipment data to look for problems in the buildings. For example, stuck dampers. This is a very common problem that we need to detect. And Brick even provides tutorials to help you query and find this kind of entities to address this kind of use cases. And Johnson Controls has a lot of similar experience working with spot detection, and Brick just makes it very easy to apply the techniques to new buildings. 
Very similarly, in energy optimization, Ground Controls has very deep experience with algorithms on how to optimize energy, and we model the buildings in brick. This makes it very easy to deploy such uh, applications in new sites, and it really helps us cut down the uh, cost for commissioning. Uh, lastly, risk uh, analytics. This might be a little unexpected, but uh, we have a product called Connected Converged Security. Uh, this application would look at data from buildings and other data sources, and it helps secure buildings. And we can understand and prioritize the threats of the buildings and update situations in real time. We use Brick to model the buildings, locations, and equipment data to create such applications. So where are we storing all this data? Uh, Jones Control's Digital Vault is the data platform that we use to ingest, standardize, and store the data for all these use cases. We ingest sensor data through protocols such as BACnet, OPC, and we ingest location and equipment data from BIM models, EMS systems, access control systems, and other data sources. We have designed a common data model based on BRIC and standardized all the data, and this data model evolves as we come across more use cases, but BRIC is proven to be very well-rounded and very adaptable for designing a common data model for us. So to learn more about what we do at Jones Controls around smart buildings, you can find information at this link. And to learn more about what we're doing with Office of the Future, you can check out more on this website. And I will pass it back to Jason. Thanks, guys. That was really, really good. Jason, do you have um, any more slides to show? Uh, no, uh, E, can you just go to the next slide? Yeah. I, I just would like to finalize what we have presented. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we would like BRIC to be a, a, a lingua franca for um, building lifecycle. We don't claim uh, BRIC to be comprehensive for any kind of all the aspects of the uh, models that is necessary in buildings, but we would like to connect uh, different models as well as providing a ground, uh, ground base. Uh, different models may include uh, like Haystack or IFC, building topology, ontology, and so on. And BRIC will forever remain uh, as community driven. Uh, we receive uh, vocabulary extensions from various uh, contributors, and uh, we would like to have uh, tool developments for ver from various companies and research groups. And it could be used in any kind of the workflow among the uh, among any kind of workflow inside buildings, such as device development, building commissioning, system integration, app development, and so on. Thanks for listening to us, and we'd be happy to receive any questions. And please visit us and talk uh, share your thoughts thank you yeah thank you guys that was an excellent presentation um and there's a lot to i'm sure for people out there to unpack um but of course uh, we have recorded the session so um it will be available for everyone to listen again and, and the slides will be made available and i think um gabe said earlier that they would be on uh, the website there brickschema.org and i'll certainly be putting them on our website as well um, I hope we've got time for um, a few questions, if that's okay. Uh, I've had a couple come in um, for you guys. Um, so maybe this is first one here for, let's say, for Gabe or Jason. Um, you have mentioned that a potential function of BRIC is representation of assets. How can BRIC be used with BIM, um, building information modeling, during design construction, and with CMMS? after the construction is completed. Do you guys have any thoughts on how it can play with, for example, a BIM model? So we have a little experience uh, integrating BRIC with BIM models. Um, we actually have a, uh, a project that's going to be uh, funded by the Department of Energy to perform some of that integration. Um, what we imagine is that we're not going to supplant IFC or BIM models with BRIC, but what we can do is uh, because there's already so much tooling and, and, and people are already used to IFC, and I don't think we're going to do a better job of IFC than IFC. But what we are going to do and what's coming up is uh, performing an integration so that it's easy to go from the design and construction phase uh, with your IFC model and your BIM um, into BRIC so that there's uh, less of a sort of impedance mismatch between those. Um, I wasn't familiar with the, the with the second system that you mentioned, uh, CMNS. 
Yeah, that's what that's what they said. I'm not something I've heard either. But I guess I mean, in the context of let's say maybe some kind of CAFM or facilities management software, how do you see, for example, Brick helping to manage the building, you know, throughout its life cycle, not just uh, not just during construction? Yeah. So, I mean, Brick as, as a data model is very extensible, and what we have been doing is where Brick is. Uh, sort of an integration piece between many different pieces of software. So if I have a, an identifier for a time series database or a uh, an ID for a, a, an asset in a, in a BIM model or some asset tracking software, that can be represented within a brick model. And so I can go to my brick model, I can find my pointers to my resources in other pieces of software. Um, and so we don't have a whole lot of that fleshed out, but um, I don't see any, any problems in uh, any sort of fundamental problems in performing that integration. Uh, one thing I will plug is on the brickschema.org website, there is a link to um, a GitHub issues page as well as a Google message board. So if you do want to uh, dig into more of these questions uh, with the Brick Consortium team, uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be, that'd be great. Oh, it's been clarified, by the way. CMMS means Computerized Maintenance Management System. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. I'll use and I, more homework. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, on that point during the presentation, I was, it was really interesting to see that, like you were talking about them using machine learning to kind of, um, in a way, you know, like look at, like, as you said, like one of the main problems is the fact of all the buildings out there who have all of these, you know, different older systems or, and trying to be able to understand those and, and convert that into, um, into a more um, structured brick, you know, model. I think that's super interesting. So uh, it's great to see you, you put some, got some tools to help people uh, to do that. Very, very interesting. Um, another question here: What is the progress at the ASHRAE BACnet level? Uh, when would we expect to see the first public versions, which incorporate and harmonize brick and haystack? Is that something that? Um, you guys are working on it. I remember reading something earlier this year about a, a potential new ASHRAE standard. Yes, so the, um, the ASHRAE 223P standard um, is under development. Uh, in terms of a timeline, you'd have to ask the, the people that are, um, the ASHRAE members that are sitting on the committee. Um, but uh, I can say that we've, we've it feels like we've made a lot more progress in, in like the past in the in the past year. Uh, so we're working very closely with Brian Frank from Project HSEC, um, as well as the Brick team and and the people from uh, Ashray uh, to sort of integrate the models. Another uh, person who's been very helpful is uh, Joel Bender from uh, Cornell University. Um, and so, if you were to ask me what my what my sort of guess at what the standard will will look like, it would be mm -hmm. something. Uh, like you'd have tags that would appear sort of on the equipment as they get distributed, um, but you would have a richer data models looking similar to brick that would help tie um, tie those tags into concrete types and encapsulate the relationships and all the rest of that. So mm -hmm. tags are very nice because they're very uh, small, they're very efficient uh, to put on these sort of constrained embedded devices. Um, but you do need a richer, more expressive data model to actually get you know, the insights into how the building's supposed to be put together or, and how these equipment uh, fit together. So mm -hmm. I don't have any sort of a timeline, but um, we are all working sure. together and it, yeah. you know, we are making progress. Good. Okay. Well, we can, we can wait out on, uh, on information exactly that, but I'm sure once it's done, it will be released. Uh, a couple of final questions here. Um, is there an aspiration to grow brick to other sectors of the built environment? Um, they're using an example here, rail, roads, aviation. Um, so I guess sort of maybe sort of, you know, a smart city scenario, is there, can you see a, a potential for expanding outside of buildings? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, our brick model is, uh, as, as, we, as we have argued before, uh, extensible to accommodate any kind of other vocabularies uh, in other domains too. So we have we have experimented on our UCSD campus to accommodate 
other types of the data other than just buildings, uh, such as uh, traffic information and all, as well as parking information and other street and uh, street light energy sensors and so on. Uh, we found we found it is successful. Uh, it, it is easy to extend brick to other domains, uh, but we are uh, we need more concrete uh, agreement with the expertise in that specific domains, and we'd be happy to receive any kind of contributions or suggestions to extend it to other domains. Because we we started from uh, HVAC modeling because we have the uh, uh, easy access to those data, uh, but we would like to see real real data to finalize our modeling is good for other uh, domains too. So we'd be happy to talk. Good. And on that note, um, I guess we can say, you know, if somebody was wanting to get in touch, we've got the website there, brickschema.org. Um, and if there were more questions, is there a way to get hold of you guys? Are there contact details on the website? Yes. There is um, a link to the Google group. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, you finalize it. That, yeah, that, that's what, what I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay, good. So we have Google like... Groups links at brickschema.org. Um, uh, we, are, we, are, uh, we can ha have the, uh, conversations there, but we also receive uh, GitHub issues. Uh, if you need to contact in private, you, you should be able to find the emails at the Google Groups too. Great. Um, well, obviously, you want to say to all three of you, um, thank you very much for sharing that information. I think it's, it's extremely interesting and a project that I think anyone in the, who's to do with smart buildings and um, should keep an eye on. And, um, and if you are developing applications uh, or commissioning and integrating systems, it's well worth um, keeping an eye on what they're doing with Brick. Um, so beyond that, um, as I said earlier, like we've recorded this session I'll be posting it online uh, later today, so feel free to share that with colleagues. Um, and then beyond that, um, we've got some more interesting content for the Smart Building series coming up next month and September as well. So, so keep an eye on, on the memory website for all that information. So it just remains for me to say thanks to Yi, Jason, and Gabe. Um, again, thanks, guys, for, for contributing today. Really interesting. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very thanks much for having. listening. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, and hope to uh, speak to you all soon. Bye-bye for now.